Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Dream Drop Long Distance, a podcast where the co-hosts are surprisingly similar in height difference between our two protagonists. My name is Mitchell Orsino, and always is my with me is my co-host, Kyle Bradshaw. What's up, Kyle? <laughs> okay. All right. I'll take it. It's true. You're not wrong. I wasn't ready for it, but you're not wrong. I mean, you do seem like you double my height some days. It depends on the shoes. It really does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I do wear big big mickey mouse clown shoes just like sora so <laughs> no man i'm i'm good i'm good i i'm i'm glad to be closer to putting a pin in this game once and for all yeah man no this one i i will say and i don't know about you I, you know how excited i was to play this version and find out more about riku's story and i will say at first it started slow and it still is a little slow but dude the story has not disappointed yeah i just I don't I don't know how I feel about the amount of work that they're making us put in to get that story by comparison to the work that you had to put in for Sora. It, it was a different pacing, and I think it's just completely out of whack here. So Riku's story could have been half as long. OK, from that, uh, we I think we definitely uh, we do agree on that point. Yeah, they they added so much filler for no reason in this game. <laughs> Ugh, it's it. I mean, it kept people playing for hours longer, so, and without having to add any additional content. Y you know what I was actually thinking today? Hmm. I don't know how we didn't notice this either. We never went to the Hundred Acre Wood as Riku. Oh, I definitely noticed because I was upset by that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, not like fully upset, but I, I knew that was like the one world that I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of sad, which, I mean, I... I get in a way it was more of a mini game type thing. They probably didn't think it needed to be added and we'll get into there was actually another thing I noticed that we'll talk about in one of the worlds in a second that uh, also didn't happen that I was a little disappointed in. But if you're cool with it, uh, let's jump in because the first world we went to in this was Atlantica. Yeah, Atlantica. I mean, this is a another world. It's honestly just another filler world. But the thing I'll say is that this is probably the one that I spent the most time in just because I was still in a process of needing to grind because I was feeling under leveled at parts. Interesting. So I just mainlined this for for like an hour or so. But uh, the, the first note that I put down for for this episode was I never want to hear under the sea <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that song on the loop is just um, yeah, it, it's a bit. It's a lot, but I mean, it could be worse, but it also could be better. I can almost feel myself getting queasy just thinking about hearing that song again. But I, they just need more soundtrack. That's all they do. And it wasn't like there wasn't other songs. I mean, it's 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 all these games. All the levels really only had the one song and then they had the battle music version of it. But I mean, I don't think we really need to dive too deep into this. It's you know, you get to the level, you fight Ursula, you're done with the level. That That's really all there is to this to Atlantica. Yeah, instead, uh, go straight to you go right on through into the hallway and uh, you get to see a little cutscene between Axel Larkseen and Vexen. You do. And man, I don't know about you. This was this was dark. Yeah, it really kind of was like w w um, what's happening here is that Vexen is experimenting deeply with the uh, repliku, as we have coined the term. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you've. Just finally accepted that I will never let that go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they they are. I mean, he is really. I think he's starting to see 
that there is a value in Riku's power. So he's trying to experiment with Repliku. And like Larkseed and Axel are kind of like, huh, this is an interesting thing. And she winds up giving Repliku a card. And he's like, I don't understand why I need this card. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the Destiny Isles card. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know why I need that. And because I don't want to be like Riku. He's like, he's weak. And what do I want with the heart of a loser? Yeah, I know. Good God. Um, <laughs> what a line. What a line. I know. He's, he's got the Riku sass. But Larg scene, dude, she starts getting dark. Basically saying that, like, you know, we can have Nominee remake your heart and make you as real as him. And Vexen agrees and it tells her, you know, we can maybe adjust him and looks at Riku and just tells him to relax and that it'll only hurt a little. And, you know, Repliku tries to fight her off and she, of course, beats the hell out of him. Oh, yeah. Whoops him. Larkseen, dude, the line that I remember, she looks at him and goes, it's okay. Naminé will implant only the sweetest little memories into you, but it doesn't matter if they're all lies. And dude... His crying out at that moment, just pure terror at knowing that he's about to be basically mentally wiped and used for their purposes. It broke my heart. Dang. Like, I don't know why that I don't that that scene hit me more than most of Sora's storyline. Like, I, I just felt so I was like, wow, they really just gave that character that kind of depth. Yeah, no, I, I never, I didn't even process it on that level. So that's so cool hearing it from your perspective. Like, I, I, I guess I considered the Riku replica, the Repliku as too much of, of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a nobody, as it were, or a nothing. So I never really bothered to care. Uh, so far, I mean, his, that, uh, that whole plot line has been one of my favorite parts. I know that sounds weird. It's just, yeah, I think they've done a really good job with it. But then, you know, that cutscene goes away and we go to uh, where where, actually what was the next world called? Uh, We go to Halloween Town. Absolutely nothing happens here. We fight Oogie Boogie. He goes down easy peasy. Moving on. There was nothing special here. But before we move on, I have to point out that they did not give Riku a Halloween form. And I am upset. (gasps) Oh. Oh, you're right. They didn't. They did. Oh, no, I didn't even think about that. I think the only thing they did was they took his his look and they kind of what I noticed, they kind of darkened the blues. They gave him some kind of under eye darkening. Basically, they made him look a little more like vampire without actual. It was about the most minimal they could possibly do to make him match the world. And I was like, I we got out when I got into it. I remember I was like, oh, they didn't give him any kind of transformation in any of the other worlds i was like hopefully they'll do halloween town and when i was so upset i was like oh this would have been such a cool opportunity to give him a unique look but it also would have never been used again and would I have know. been i mean for for how irrelevant this world was i know i, I don't think it would have been a, a good use of the the designer's time unfortunately it wouldn't have it wouldn't have uh but a, a man can dream any fan artists out there the Halloween Town Riku, let's go. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there are some great renditions of that. We'll have to we'll have to look it up. Um, or if anybody's listening and they have some fan art they want to share, we'd love to see it. I'll retweet it. Why not? Yeah. Or Instagram, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we get past uh, Sad Boy Times and Halloween Town and we go to Wonderland. 
So yeah, you get through the other side of Halloween Town, you end up in the hallway. Once again, you get a hallway cutscene of uh, Larkscene and Namine. Mostly Larkscene just kind of taunting Namine about rep- the work that uh, sh- she's doing to Sora and also Repliku. Mm-hmm. But uh, two two little details come come loose here that I think are important to touch on. One is that cards become keepsakes. Repliku's good luck charm was made from that Destiny Islands card that he was handed a, uh, a little bit ago. Hmm. So that's kind of fascinating that that's and it's like, oh, the I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense because it's a memory of a world. And, oh, this is where that came from. It's kind of a cool connection. The other thing is a line that Namine says that I think is really important. She says, quote, I'm the shadow of Kyrie." Oh. When talking about the way that she's manipulating Sora's memories and how the feelings for Kyrie are being transferred onto her. But it's also, it's working because I'm the shadow of Kyrie. I think that's, I think that's going to be important. And I don't, we don't have enough to piece it all together yet, but I think that's going to be important. That was a great note. I don't know. I, I don't know why I didn't write that part down. That's so weird. Because that, that was probably one of Namine's biggest hints at, like, who she actually is. Yeah, it's the, it's the closest thing we have so far, that's for sure. For sure. Good good call. Great great pickup. Great pickup, Kyle. <laughs> I take I'll take all these notes and I skip half of them, but some of them are important. I know. I know. So, but anyway, so Mitch, uh, I know you have some strong feelings on this one, so let me, let me line it up for you. Uh, up next is Wonderland, and while normally we don't want to talk too much about the individual worlds because there's just so much nothing that happens. Wonderland here was an unfun exercise in what if all I had were a small handful of low value cards. It is infuriating. Yeah. So best way I can describe it. So Wonderland brings you into the normal, very linear. You have one boss fight, get through the world. But the one boss fight you have this world decided that it's going to try to get you to learn how to use the dueling system by forcing you to only have, I don't think you have any cards above a value of seven. And this thing just basically forces you to have to duel him to be able to do enough damage. It's the tall kind of top headed baton, flaming baton twirling heartless. I can never remember the name. I think it's like a joker or something. Trickster. Yeah, trickster. But man, it is just... One, it's repetitive. Two, forcing you to use the dueling system when it has the ability to play a card eight or higher when you physically do not have any cards that are that high. So you just can't win. You can't win the duel. And then it will, uh, if he wins the duel, you get stunned, which allows him to hit you with an attack that knocks between a quarter and a half. It, uh, dude, it was, oh, uh, it was so frustrating. I I thought I thought that was the most unbalanced fight in in this entire game. Yeah, this was probably one of the hardest bosses that we had to fight through the entirety of this game, and or at least of Riku's side of the story. Yeah, because there was just nothing that you could do. You couldn't re- change around your deck. You, you just had to learn another playstyle, which was weakening enemies through through car, through map cards, like. But that doesn't affect the trickster fight. No. And then uh, strengthening your attacks with uh, with heartless cards. But that's still not going to do enough. It, it was just very, very much so not fun. I did not enjoy this fight. And I'm so glad it's over. 
yeah so to tell anybody just be aware if you're playing through this game the wonderland level will be a pain once you get through it much better um it's it's not nearly as annoying um so let, let's stop talking about wonderland because i'm already feeling my blood pressure spike yes and we go into the next cutscene. yeah so right about here we uh i think the first thing to know here is that we learn where we are in the timeline by comparison to uh story sora's story mm-hmm. because zexion notices that vexen has died which means we are at about when Sora is in the Twilight Town world, because that's where Axel kills Vexen. Yes. Also, one thing I wanted to note, did you notice that Zexion and Riku have that ability of being able to sense darkness levels in people based on smell? Yeah, I did. It's weird that it's only the two of them. I don't know what to make of that. So far, it's the only he, Zexion is the only person that I've noticed can also do that like Riku can. I don't I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I don't either. But yeah, no, he he, yeah, so he comes out and is like, yeah, Vexen is no more. And but also Zexion could t- somehow tell Axel was like you said, was the one who did it. At which point, Lexatius or Lexius, I always have a hard time pronouncing his name, says that we can't destroy Sora for our superior needs use of the hero of light. So there's somebody up top that's like, hey, do not take Sora out. Yeah, that 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 continued use of superior, especially since the subtitles are always on as a capital S superior mm-hmm. who needs Sora. I don't know what to make of that yet, but it, it, it sounds like they're talking about presumably the leader of the organization. It does. But they the other thing that they bring up is I forget, I forget which which one says it. I apologize. I messed up the note. Oh, it, okay. So it must have been Zexion. I apologize. He says, well, when light loses sight of its path, we may find use for the dark. And Lexatius says, we must obtain the darkness, which to me meant that if we lose the ability to control Sora, then maybe we can control Riku. Yeah, that is that's exactly what they're thinking, because uh, or, or it they're probably at least somewhat aware of that coup that's happening within within the organization, too. And that coup is trying to take Sora, too. Yes. So potentially if they if they lost Sora for any number of reasons, they could have Riku as a backup. I think so. That's at least it seems what their plan is. Um, and then there's a little mini bit right after that. Riku's walking alone. He pulls out his last world card. One thing I was kind of I thought was interesting is he looks at it, looks at the door and he's like, if I finish this last one, will I be free of the darkness? So he's still hunting to try to pull this darkness out of himself to find a way out of that, this hole that he has found himself in. Yeah, it is interesting that they took the time to to show us that vin- vignette that that didn't seem it seemed out of place, but also kind of interesting. It was a nice little like insight into Riku and uh just his own thought process. I'm glad they didn't just like ham fist us every single hallway with Riku talking to himself. So I guess I guess it was a good balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, I think if they were going to put it anywhere, that was a good spot to put it. Yeah, because basically at about this time, that's when things start going absolutely wild. Yes. Uh, at which point the next world we go to is... Is this one of your favorites? Uh, the Colosseum. I mean, it's one of my favorites in 
in the worlds where you actually have a coliseum in which to fight. Yeah, yeah. But uh, here it's just like we're just walking in a straight line, more or less. You you walk up to Hades and he goes down. His fighting style was interesting against Riku, but like, I don't know. Yeah, it's still not like a, a very tough fight. Even I, I didn't even really overlevel or anything for it. It's just I think the play style. Also, you get a much stronger hand coming into this fight, which thank God. Oh, yeah. Uh, but once you, I feel like once you get to us, once you get to a certain level of darkness ability points, most of these bosses, these like lower end bosses in the worlds become pretty easy to just lay waste into with a couple of dark Faragas or actually. I, I I apologize. He's actually a mute Dark Fraga. I meant um, what's that? It's the I forget what it's called. It's like Dark. It's this ability where Riku will jump on them like five times and slam his sword on the top of their head. I know what you mean. Like Dark Dark Break. Maybe? Dark Break. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. So so you say that you say all that that these the bosses start getting easier about this point, and I can agree that like oh yeah, Hades super easy. Took him out no problem. But you walk from Hades I know. out to the Castle Hall again, and there's Lexius with this enormous hooked hammer weapon thing. And for one, Riku just like smells this guy and is like, you're trouble. You're dark. You're evil. You're one of those guys. Yeah, he actually I think I mean, the one I noticed, he he was able to smell out. He said, man, that smell. You're one of those nobodies. Oh, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? He did. He called him out as a nobody, which I was like, ooh, he knows now. And Lexatius looks at him and goes, cast away your fear, open your heart and accept the darkness, which is like, oh, he's trying to push him to become the darkness. But because he's, as we learned earlier, they're realizing if these other people somehow gain control of the hero of light, we need the hero of darkness on our side. And let me tell you, he did a very, very good job of pushing me into the darkness. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> this Lex Lexius kicked my ass at level 40. So I went back into the Olympus Coliseum and I grinded for like two hours or something or maybe longer. I don't know. I kind of stopped paying attention and I got to level 45 and then I went back out into the hallway and stomped him. Yeah, man, he is. So to just describe this fight for anybody, because it is a fun fight. Lexius is a very he's very much a bruiser type character with a huge kind of butcher blade sword and he's slow for the most part but he has an ability that basically makes him invulnerable if you don't break it quick enough for and he's invulnerable for a certain amount of time all of his hits are kind of like a two hit combo where He'll slam his sword into the ground, stun you, and then smack you again. And I'm talking, it will take at least a quarter of your health out. Like, he is a bruiser. But if you can stay away from him and you can activate your darkness and all this other stuff, he does become a lot easier. But just be aware. Do not go in there underleveled. He will slap you around. They do make it a little easier on you because, for one, you have a ton of cards. And they even give you a high potion, which means if you've been burning all of your cards in slights, you can use the high potion and get all of them back. So put piecing it all together, I was just like, Dark Faraga, Dark Faraga, Dark Faraga, Dark Faraga. Yes. And then I hit him with a Dark Aura, and that Dark Aura took him down. Yeah, man, distance is your friend with this dude, for sure. Do not get in his face. But uh, despite, at least in my case, actually whooping him handily, 
uh, the cutscene resumes at the end of the fight, and uh, Lexius knocks Riku flat. Yeah, he, I mean, they're sitting there, and Riku's, like, going in for the kill. Lexius just bitch smacks him into the ceiling and comes down. Riku, in, I don't know if it's desperation or whatever, transforms into dark his darkness mode in front of him. This part was so cool. The way that uh, the dark form just like Zentetsuken slices through Lexius right here. Uh Oh my God. What a moment. That was just, I mean, that was murder. Outright murder. Oh yeah. He stares him right in the eye and goes right through him. And you could see Lexius's face. And on the other side of him in Ansem's voice, Riku's body goes too slow. And at which point <laughs> Lexius looks back and just goes, you are the superiors. And then disappears and says, as he's disappearing, goes, forgive me, Zexian. This is a fight I should not have started. And it's like, what? So did, cool. It's like, what did that mean? <laughs> Right, right. It's like, oh my god, that I, this is this is one of those critical lines right here. This is one of those ones that needs to be paid very close attention to. Just like uh, Shadow of Kyrie, this is another one here. You are the superiors. Highlight, highlight, highlight. That's going to be something is going to come from that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. But not yet. And in, but not yet. But also just the fact that he was like sexy, and I should not. I should not have started this fight. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? He he's admitting. That something about Riku is something he should not have tampered with. And that's awesome. From there, it cuts to Riku floating in a dark void. uh, Being taunted by Ansem and, and saying, remember me, let me drift into your heart. And it's funny because you can hear Ansem telling him, like, I see you now, clearly. Riku's kind of looking around and he's like, there's no, no darkness. This foul could only be. And you just hear this maniacal laughing as he realizes who it is. And Ansem says, the more you think of me, the closer I will be. And once I take hold of your heart, it will be mine. So work with me here. Were we not supposed to have realized that this was Ansem? Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're, I think we're supposed to because he actually when he tells him. When the voice says, yes, let me drift into your heart, Riku yells, Ansem. Like, he rec- he recognizes that it's Ansem. I know, it just feels like, it feels like this is a, a revelation to Riku, like he didn't realize until now that it was Ansem. Well, I don't know how that could be, because Ansem was, I don't know, I, it just I, weird phrasing. I think it was that, I think it was one weird phrasing. Maybe it didn't translate well in the game, um, but he did, he does recognize that it was him. Um But the big part here was that this small little glowing orb comes in and you hear the sound of the king yell, Riku, fight. Don't let him win. And Ansem yelling back, you meddlesome king. And I'm just like, Mickey, you are the best companion you could possibly have in these games. I think that I'm funny. The way that I wrote this down in my note was uh, the ghost of Mickey Mouse appears just in the nick of time. I mean, it really is what it is. Oh, uh, and because so Riku wakes up, though, and calls out for Mickey with no answer. And he kind of is like, I mean, yeah, you're here with me, aren't you? And doesn't get a reply again. So it's like, was it really him or was that like Riku imagining 
that Mickey was there? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. At this, at this point, we don't know. I mean, I'm inclined to believe that, yes, it was the real Mickey, but yeah, you, you're right. We can't be sure. No, because at this point, we haven't seen him like in the flesh yet. You know, not not the real Mickey. We've only seen his ghost. Uh, only his ghost so far. Jedi ghost, Obi-Wan Kenobi style. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very similarly, which is even funnier now that the mouse owns that franchise. Of course, that's how we got the power. It was uh, it was foretold. <laughs> uh, anyway. <No. laughs> um, let's, let's, so let's, it not, let's not get a copyright hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, it cuts over to uh, another scene happens with Zexion, who is observing just through scent, like apparently in this 26 story up and down tower, he's able to just smell everyone. I don't get that one, but uh, he, he knows that basically all of his comrades are fine. Lexius is dead. Uh, Larxene is dead too, which tells us again that we've moved further along in Sora's side of the story. Marluxius is still alive though. So Sora hasn't finished the, the job yet. No. Um, one thing I noticed that Axel says Axel appears and is like Larxene, Vexen, now Lexius. I wonder who's next. And Zexion looks at him and goes, I'm surprised it wasn't you. Which I was like, oh, <laughs> burn. That's funny. But then Axel says something interesting where he says, I already took my pounding from Sora. He thinks I'm gone. No, I think it'll be Marluxia for targeting Sora against the organization's wishes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, Marluxia hasn't gone down yet. No. But Axel then says, so what about you? I thought you had plans for Riku. At which point Zexian planned, says that he planned to turn Riku against all of the traitors. But if Marluxia is gone, then Riku is just a problem. And Axel says, yeah, I mean, he took down Lexius. And then Zexian kind of gets ticked off by that and asks for the data on Riku's home. Yeah, which he then basically immediately uses because you walk, you're given control back at Riku, you walk 20, 30 feet into the next room and there's Zexion. First of all, first there was a large, there's a large earthquake that happens. Oh yeah. And Riku says, what? One of the senses died. A really strong one. Yep. And that's, which means we're, we're precisely now at where Marluxia, the final boss battle with Marluxia took place for Sora. Yeah. Zexion actually, when he appears, he says the keeper of the castle, Marluxia has just been felled by the Keyblade master. So we know for a fact where we are at in the timeline and Zexion plays with Riku a little bit, claims that he shouldn't want to face Sora as he is because Sora is destined to fight the darkness, which I was like, oh, he's putting doubt in Riku's heart right now. Yeah. By saying like, hey, you should not want to meet Sora because Sora's destiny is to kill the darkness, which you are. Up to this point, Riku didn't even know that Sora was here. Yeah, you tie in that with the realization where he's starting to come to grips with the fact that my best friend is destined to destroy, possibly destroy me. Just wow. <laughs> and just to play on that exact fear, he, Zexion gives him the card for the Destiny Islands. He does. He basically is just kind of like, you can go if you want to, but I'm just giving you that information. Which, bravo, brilliant manipulation. Riku takes the card opens into the Destiny Islands and uh, sees his familiar group of friends, Waka, Tedious, and Selfie, and then they vanish. Poof, gone in a glow of light. That was so weird because it starts him off on the island 
where he says, like, I never thought I'd miss the island winds so much. And yeah, he sees his friends and one, he's, he's like, hey, guys, like talking to them and they don't respond. They just stare at him and then they just disappear in a balls of light. That was a weird moment. I don't know if that maybe is like a realization or like a, a sign of him not actually having a connection with them. I don't know. Well, the cool thing is that Zexian does explain this here shortly. Yeah. So, uh, for one, this is one of the only worlds where you actually have more than one. Des- I think anyway, this is one of the only worlds that you actually have more than one destination to arrive at. Mm. So you go to the first door where Riku bumps in the Kyrie, who also fades away. Yeah. And Zexion shows up and says, you know, you've been going through all these worlds and you've only met dark beings there. You have let go of the light. So all of those connections that you have, they're gone. You sacrificed everything for the darkness. That was one of the one of the earliest plot points they were touching on is like you gave it all up for the darkness. And now you're trying to throw the darkness away, too. So you're going to have nothing. Yeah, they're they're trying to explain like. You're only running into dark beings in these worlds, which I think is also the writers trying to give a story, an in-world story reason for why these worlds were empty and didn't have plot lines. Yeah, I, I but, you know, take it as you will. I mean, that, that's not a it's not inaccurate uh, to say that, that maybe that was like their way of writing around it. But yeah, I mean, the one note, the, the, the at least the dialogue line that I wrote down that I thought was big was that he said, that's all that's left in your heart. Dark memories. Your memories of home are gone. All of them. But Riku says, that's a lie. I remember everyone. They're all my closest friends. And Zexion goes, and who threw away those friends? Yep. Maybe it's your own actions that you've forgotten. You destroyed your home. And it just breaks him. And the world, too, because yeah. where we had been on the peaceful, idyllic version of the Destiny Islands, we're suddenly in the the ripped apart version, the destroyed version. Yeah, I mean, he remembers that night that everything got destroyed and, the, and you know, the island is broken up and all these things are flying around. And Zexian shows him that because he opened that door to darkness that night, that everyone was destroyed. Had that been confirmed before? I don't remember. Like, had it been confirmed that, yeah, it was Riku. Riku did that. I know. Not that I, I don't recall that. All we ever saw was that Riku was standing on the island when it was happening. But I don't think it ever was confirmed in the game that Riku had, at least not to my knowledge that I remember, that Riku was the cause of it. Yeah. So here it pretty, it very directly is explaining like, Riku opened the world to darkness just like Clayton did in uh, Deep Jungle. Yeah, which is like, damn, that's heavy. <laughs> it really is. But then we we go to fight. I mean, we actually wind up fighting a pretty familiar mini boss. I don't like this, actually. Um, I understand that they're just kind of reusing bosses and they weren't going to put a different boss here. Mm-hmm. I get it. But it kind of shows the past version of Riku, the one that opened the world to the darkness transforming into the dark side boss which up to this point one of the things i've been trying to note is that every time we have fought dark side it has always been sora by himself no allies yeah right i don't like that riku's fighting this boss yeah i i 100 agree i don't think that this should have been used for that this has always been a very singular 
opponent for Sora. And it, every time you fight it, it is a moment in Sora's story. So I'm like, why is he, why is Riku fighting this thing? It doesn't even look, it looks no different either. It, it looks exactly like it always has. So yeah, I, I, I didn't really like that either. But the fight happens. You take him down just like you always do. This yeah. boss was never about challenge. It was always about uh, thematics. It cuts to Riku seeing a memory of Sora mm-hmm. because we know where Sora is. So this can't be the real Sora. I don't know. I don't I want to hear what you did here because Riku sees memory Sora and then behind him the door, the ominous door from both the beginning and the end of Kingdom Hearts 1, the one that we saw in Dive to the Deep and the one we saw in End of the World, that door appears. But I didn't go to the door. I, I ran to Sora, so I want to know Damn what it. you did. I went to Sora too. Doggone it. I wish we had done differently. I almost went to the door. I did. I know. I thought the door was the thing because normally in both cases, going to the door was the path forward. So I was like, oh, well, hang on. Let me go see what's up with Sora. Darn it. Damn. Okay. So to anybody playing it, we're going to explain what happens when you go to Sora. Go to the door. Let us know what happened. Yeah, please. So, no, yeah, you wind up going to Sora or try to talk to him. And he just immediately takes a swing at you. I could see exactly what you've become. Yeah. I mean, he literally is yelling. He's like, Sora, don't you recognize me? He says, yeah, I recognize you, what you've become. And blasts Riku with that door locking power. Right. Where has Sora been hiding this? Why has he not been using this in combat if he can actually do this? I don't know, but you can see on his face, he looks at me, he goes, Riku, how can the light hurt you? Have you really become a creature of the dark? You're not Riku anymore. You're just a pawn of the darkness. And dude, Riku's face, he is just like, what? Like, no, no. What are you talking? And he just looks at him and Sora looks at him and just like, so be it, man. You know, it's time for you to face the light. And Riku, real like at that moment, thinking that his best friend is about to destroy him. Oh. That's heart. It, it's heartbreaking. I'm coming for you one day, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm locking all of my doors forever. <laughs> so, yeah, Sora blasts him a second time and that sends Riku fading into the light. Like he's going into the light. He's dying. He does like a king, like a Kingdom Hearts kind of spirit bomb light ball and just decimates him yeah and in that moment as he's uh dying quite literally dying uh in the midst of the light Kairi shows up telling him that riku can't be defeated by light or darkness which is definitely some weird evangelion stuff going on here like th- this feels like the end of evangelion like nothing is making sense characters are dying weird voices are coming up but anyway I, say, I, I trust you on that one. I haven't I haven't deep dived too too far into Evangelion other than I know big robots fight big monsters. Oh, that is not even close to the story. That, OK, I know. I know, right, well, I, I know what I, we're doing after this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I won't act like I know a whole lot about that series. Anyway, uh, by pursuing the path of dark and light, Riku is able to forge his own path and his own strength. And as Kairi saying all of this. The camera angle kind of shifts a little bit and you can see that it's Namine speaking through Kairi rather than 
actually Kyrie talking to Riku in this moment because I don't know where Kyrie is other than presumably the Destiny Islands and not these Destiny Islands because this Kyrie faded away. So this is definitely just Naminé talking to him. Yeah, it was a weird thing where it started doing that. And then they both ask, tell him, like, follow the darkness. It'll show you the way to your friends. And Riku's like, well, can I face them? And they give him the question, do you want to? And he goes, you know, I do, of course. And at that moment, when he realizes that he wants to see his friends, Dark Riku appears. And it, just like he took out Lexius, does just this one, this beautiful, like, slash through Sora. Which, holy crap, <laughs> that's that's intense just in, in and of itself. It's so awesome. But then Sora turns into Zexion. Ugh. I mean, the 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 trust on on Riku's side to know that that isn't actually Sora. But then Zexion asks him, how could you find me enveloped in the light? And Riku, in one of the most interesting lines, goes, you reek of darkness, even shrouded in the light, which it's like, oh, damn. Now, not only can Riku smell the darkness, but he's also able to see through and use the light. Not use it, but like he's, you know, he it, he's learning how to like, you know what I mean? I guess yeah. the best way I'm trying to describe it's like the light isn't something that he's fearing anymore. Like he's realizing that it's like, oh, I can kind of walk in between. I can smell the garbage can even with the Febreze. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he he, he is Oscar the Grouch <laughs> and Elmo at the same time. i was not even gonna okay sure man yep Mm -hmm. keep going keep going you you know elmo probably smells good yeah that's that's the perfect analogy of course yes Mm -hmm. oscar the grouch (laughs) and elmo at the same time but dressed as riku thank you let's uh never speak of this again riku is just two puppets stuffed inside of an emo body anyway (laughs) it cuts to to a fight of zexion we fight Zexion now. Yeah. And we win. Uh, which is, yeah, it's a pretty easy fight, but it's also one of the most interesting ones that they do in Riku's side of the story. Yeah. Because uh, Zexion has this ability to snatch cards from you, which prevents them from being used and reloaded. So like reloading your deck doesn't do anything because the cards are physically not in your possession. I think up to this point, the only person that had been able to do anything similar to that was Marluxia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Marluxia was able to knock the cards out of Sora. Yeah. this was, I mean, it was an interesting fight. I didn't think he was super strong. But yeah, yeah. being able to like take your cards and then he had these floating books that the way you would get your cards back was by you had to very quickly while he was trying to attack you run around, destroy all three floating books. And then basically your cards were scattered across the field and you then had to run and quickly pick them up. And that allowed you to like kind of restack your deck. I didn't think it was a very hard fight, but the mechanics of it, I thought, were very interesting and did take a minute to really grasp and figure out how to work. I think part of it, too, was that your deck would be like shuffled around, too, based on how you picked cards up. So that was wild. And I feel like there was a lot more opportunity to use that particular effect that they used uh, in the Marluxia fight. I think there was more opportunities to use that and they just didn't get get to. I agree. I think this was that's why I, th- I thought this was a very original fight. So, I mean, kudos. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, because here it was like in, in the Zexion version, you're, you're like you have to fight off little 
I don't, I don't remember exactly, like little effects or something, little little mini enemies in the fight or in the arena. You you kill little ones of those and your cards get released, I think. But yeah, so we wind up beating him. Zexion goes down and in that moment, Riku realizes that he's not afraid of the dark anymore and seemingly kills Zexion in cold blood, though he is uh, able to teleport away. We, we do see Zexion teleport away, but... He seems to be on death's door in that moment. Yeah, he doesn't do like the, the full fade away. So we don't think he's completely destroyed yet. But he is fading fast. Yeah. Oh, no, he's, he's definitely at like 5%. And I think that is probably a good place to pause and uh, pick things back up for the last chapter next week. What you think? I agree. Yeah. No, I mean, I thought this was a I thought, the, you know, the front half of this. This uh, chapter of our gameplay, it did start off slow. Uh, there were some some very meaty, cool moments, but this this last part was heavy. I thought we learned quite a lot. We saw a lot of character development and just a lot of things happening. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited to get into the last half of this, which we will do next week uh, because we are running short on time. Yes, indeed. So stay tuned for that next week. Uh, Mitchell, I will see you then. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. To everybody listening, thank you again, and we will catch you soon. Take care, everybody. Hey there, Kingdom Hearts fans. Thanks for listening to the episode. Dream Drop Long Distance is hosted by Mitchell Orsino and Kyle Bradshaw, and is produced by Kyle Bradshaw. Our theme music was written and recorded by Alex McLean.